Well, I want to welcome each one of you. I had some fun just learning a little bit about who you are. And uh, my name is uh, George Baute, and I currently am an instructor at Wachita Hills College and also at the Academy. But prior to that, I have pastored in the Kansas-Nebraska Conference and uh, in the Carolina Conference. We ended up going to Wachita uh, because we wanted to go with our son, who is a student there, and the Lord opened the way. And so it is a privilege to be here. I consider it actually a great privilege to be here. You know, to me, um, it, it, it matters to matter, you know. It matters to, to matter, that your life matters. And to be part of an institution that's making an impact in the closing scenes of Earth's history, to me, to be on the cutting edge, to me, is a great privilege. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful to be part of uh, WYC uh, and all these regional conferences, as well as GYC, that's preparing young people for the closing work and to go home. And to me, that is a privilege, very exciting. But why don't we begin with a word of prayer. I'll tell you a little bit more about myself, and then we'll get into our uh, discussion for today. Let us pray. Let us kneel, if we could. Our Father, we come to you thanking you again for your kindness, your goodness, and tender mercies that you shower us with every day. Lord, uh, we know that our presence in this room today uh, is not an accident, but, uh, but a divine part of your divine plan for each of us. It is... Uh, Lord, uh, a divine appointment. And so this day, we ask for your presence. Father, forgive us our sins. We thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sins and for his righteousness that covers us. We are grateful for the invitation to come to the throne of grace and, and to receive grace. And so, Father, we do this now. Lord, please shut us in. Speak to our hearts. You know the needs of every person in this room. I don't. And, and Father, even if I did, I couldn't meet it, but you can. And so I pray that today we will recognize your voice speaking to us. Now, Father, as your servant, I pray that you will give me the thoughts today that you would have me to speak and withhold anything that you do not want spoken. We pray that your name will be glorified and your people blessed and strengthened is our prayer. And we thank you and ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I, uh, I have a particular interest in the sanctuary because the sanctuary tells me about Jesus. Uh, my background is Catholic. Uh, my family, my father was atheist. Joshua. And um, that was my beautiful wife, by the way. Came in and gave me the signal. She wanted the key, but didn't have it. <laughs> my son. Yes, she's very special. And uh, the Lord is good. But so we were Catholic. And, and when I, I remember coming, when my mother accepted the, the message, the three angels message, uh, my mother took me to a church in Glendale, California. Uh, it was the Glendale City Church. And they were having a VBS, and it was on the sanctuary for children. And I remember that they had a number of crafts that were sanctuary geared. And one of the things somebody had, it was a labor of love, but they built the Ark of the Covenant all the kids out of wood and and they had the angels it was really cool and then inside they had they had gotten some wood shaped it like the ten commandments and then a xerox copy of the commandments was on uh, the, the the block of wood 
And I remember holding that in my hand as a young person, and I was awed that I was holding within my hands the laws that govern the universe. And as a 10-year-old, this blew my mind that I was holding this document. In my home, my mother taught us to reverence the Bible, but of course, we were taught never to read it. It was the work of the priest to explain to us. Uh, but it was always reverenced. And here I was holding this document. And it left an indelible impression upon me. Then later in life, sadly, I walked away from the Lord, got confused about some things, and went out into the world. And, um, and, and that ran its course. And I, I came to the place that, uh, that I uh, attempted to take my life. And Jesus stepped into my life and uh, obviously stopped that process and, uh, and won me to him. And, and later when I came to the Lord, he came back to the church, um, the issue of the sanctuary was one that was being very much agitated. Some people said it was true. Others said there was no truth in it. Now, both of them couldn't be right. And so I began to study the Bible for myself, what a unique and novel idea, uh, to find out if this was true. And what I discovered is that if you were to take out everything that has to do with the sanctuary, this book would fall apart because it is saturated with sanctuary terminology and imagery. Especially the New Testament. The New Testament writer assumes that the reader knows the sanctuary. It doesn't take the time to explain things because the assumption is that you know it. And as I began to study the sanctuary, the New Testament came to life for me. It was amazing. And, and so in these presentations, um, I'm going to take a slightly different tack than many do. Um, for years, I would hear the sanctuary taught, in, in, and I'm not putting anybody down. That's not what I'm, what I'm tempted to do. But they were divorcing, many times uh, unknowingly, the teachings of the sanctuary with practicality of the life. So blue means this, and gold means that. And that's nice, but I'm struggling with sin. Do you know what I'm saying? And so to me, I needed something practical. And one day, I sat in the presence of a, of a woman who, who had that understanding of the sanctuary. And as, and, and as she began to explain it, it all, it, it, you know, the bells and whistles began to go off. Connections were made. And I saw the sanctuary differently. So my love and joy of the sanctuary is that I understand more, be, more clearly what Jesus is doing to save you and me. And I hope that that is communicated to you today. Now, in our uh, presentations, I'm going to be giving six presentations. The first one is entitled, The Importance of the Sanctuary Message. And what I'm going to do here, I'm just going to look at, uh, we're going to look at some quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy and what we can glean from it of the importance of this message to us here and now. And I want to do that just to clear the air a little bit because of some of the controversy that exists amongst us as a people. I want to get us all on the same page. The second message, the sanctuary, a model for, for prayer, we're going to look at the sanctuary as a model for prayer. We're going to learn that the sanctuary, as we use it for a model for prayer, very much puts us in, in tune with present truth and uh, keeps it in the forefront of our mind. And so we're going to look at the sanctuary as a model for prayer. The third thing we're going to look at is the daily. The, in the Old Testament priests conducted a service, which we'll talk about in more detail, called the daily. Well, today, you and I have a counterpart to that in our experience in walking with Jesus. And we're going to learn that the daily teaches us how to, how to have victory over the power of sin. How to have victory over what? Does that excite you? It does me too. So we're going to look at that. 
The, third th the fourth thing then that we're going to look at is the good news of the judgment. You know, a lot of people don't, they, a lot of people will say there is a judgment. A lot of people don't like talking about it because there's a fear factor in the judgment. We're going to study and we're going to discover that God is not the one to fear in the judgment. Now, when I say fear, I don't mean reverence and respect. I mean terror. The Bible tells us that fear is not of God. Perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus says, you know the truth, and the truth is going to do what? Set you free. And we're going to learn what is truly the fear factor in the judgment, but we're going to discover it's not God. And that'll be very helpful. But in that study, we're going to look at the mechanics, and it's going to create the framework for us of how the judgment operates. Then, in our fifth talk, um, we're going to look at unlocking the mystery of the delay in the second coming. And, um, oh, okay, I just, I'm, I'm doing this talk in another place, and I just realized that there was one talk I wanted to bring to you, and I don't have it. Rats. Okay, well, we're going to do this one. Unlocking the mystery of the, of the delay and second coming. Did you know that the sanctuary explains the reason why Christ has not returned? How many of you knew that? When you understand the operation of the judgment, you will understand why Christ hasn't come. And that will make a lot of sense when we go through that. And then our sixth talk is a panoramic view of the judgment. The judgment comes to us in three parts. Today, beginning on October 22, 1844, part one began, and that is the investigative judgment. We're going to look at the three phases of the judgment. We're going to do it by looking just through Scripture and the Spirit of Prophecy, and this is what we're going to discover at the end of our study. We're going to learn of the incredible transparency of God in dealing with this issue, and it will comfort you. The second thing we will learn is how incredibly respectful God is of our freedom of choice. Both will be very comforting, and, and it will be truly a vindication of the character of God. So with that, let's begin by looking at the importance of the message of the sanctuary. Any questions for me at this point? If you have any questions, feel free to put up your hands. I, uh, I don't claim to know everything. Uh, in fact, I don't. But I am a searcher. I am a student. And I will share with you the little I know. And, uh, and so if I don't have an answer for you, it will spur me on to a research, and I'll try to get one for you. But let me get these passed out for you. In fact, if I can have somebody to help me, that would go much, much faster. Thank you so much. If I can have one more victim. Uh, thank you. My hand, I, what I'm going to be doing here, for the most part, I'm going to be giving out handouts. And I'll be doing that for, for several reasons. Uh, we learn better when we involve more of the senses. So I'm going to be speaking, and you're going to hear. And then you're going to be reading, so you'll be seeing it with your eyes. And you're going to have your pencil ready to make notes. So you're going to be using a lot more of your senses, and as a result, uh, these materials will stay with you better. The other thing, too, is when you leave, you'll uh, be able to study further. Thank you. Thank you. You know what? I'll probably put some of these over here. And that way, if somebody comes in late... Why? They can grab those. <clears throat> the first thing I want to do is just sh share with you how the sanctuary is divided into three parts. How many members of the Godhead are there? There are three. There are lots of threes in the sanctuary. But when you study the sanctuary as it relates to God's people, you will find that the sanctuary divides the history of God's people uh, in three parts, and it has to do with their messages. The first 
we're going to look at the Jewish, the Jewish church. And that is the church of the outer court. And their message to the world was to be ready to receive the Messiah at his first coming. Their job was to introduce to the world the Messiah, that there is a Savior from sin, that there is a reason for our existence, that there is hope in life. And, and so that was their job. Then, after the arrival of the Messiah, their job was, was by faith, to follow him into the holy place when he, were, when he was to return to heaven. Are you with me so far? But we know what happened, don't we? They did not accept him as a nation, as the Messiah. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he went up to heaven, they did not follow him by faith. As a result, uh, the church, the Jewish church, lost its place. Amen? Then enter the Christian church. And this is the era, the holy place era is the era of the Christian church. Its mission was to tell the world of a risen Savior. And that our, our Christ is in, the most, is in the holy place, ministering on the right hand of the throne of God. Towards the end of their era, they were to announce to the world that Jesus was about to begin the third phase of his ministry. And, of course, we know that in October 22, 1844, Jesus entered into the most holy place. They were to announce that to the world and then enter by faith into the most holy place. Did the Christian world do that? No. Babylon has fallen, right? They rejected the message. And now we're living in the era of the remnant church. Its mission is to tell the world that Christ is in the most holy place where the investigative judgment is taking place and soon he's going to come to take us home. Are you with me? Present truth is wherever Jesus is. When Jesus was the Lamb of God, that was present truth. When Jesus was in the holy place, that was present truth. Now that Jesus is in the most holy place, that is present truth. You know, right now we're hearing a lot about spiritualism, aren't we? Spiritualism coming into the church. I have a very simple definition of spiritualism. Spiritualism is what you're left with when you reject present truth. Because when, when the Christian churches rejected the message, the three angels' message, they became fallen. And in Revelation 18, we see the fall complete. When Babylon becomes a habitation of what? of demons, which is spiritualism. Are you with me? But when we follow Jesus by faith, it negates what's taking place right now in the Christian world and spiritualism. And if you're not paying attention to that, it is sweeping the Christian world right now, sweeping it away. And uh, Ellen White defines spiritualism this way in the book, Great Controversy, in the chapter entitled, Can Our Dead Speak to Us? She says that she defines spiritualism that it has morphed and come into the Christian church when it talks about the love of God, but it doesn't talk about his justice. Are you with me? And the justice is where he is right now in the most holy place. Very, very important to us. So let's take a look at, um, at some of these quotes. And what we're going to see in our very first quote is what Ellen White saw in vision, I believe it was 1846, when Christ moved from the holy to the most holy. Early writings, page 56. 
And I saw the Father rise from the throne, and in a flaming chariot go into the Holy of Holies within the veil, and did sit. Then Jesus rose up from the throne, and the most of those who were bowed down rose with him. I did not see one ray of light pass from Jesus to the careless multitude after he arose, and they were left in perfect darkness. Those who rose up when Jesus did kept their eyes fixed on him as he left the throne and led them out a little way. Then he raised his right hand, and we heard his lovely voice saying, Wait here. I am going to my Father to receive the kingdom. Keep your garment spotless, and in a little while I will return from the wedding and receive you to myself. And I saw a cloudy chariot with wheels like flaming fire, and angels were all around it. As it came where Jesus was, he stepped into the chariot and was borne to the holiest where the Father sat. There I beheld Jesus standing before the Father, a great high priest. On the hem of his garment was a bell and a pomegranate, bell and a pomegranate. And I saw those who rose up with Jesus send up uh, their faith to him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us thy spirit. By the way, we're talking about the pouring, the outpouring of the early and latter rain, right? Right here. My Father, give us thy spirit. Then Jesus would breathe on them the Holy Ghost. In the breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and peace. That's character. Then I turned to look at the company who were still bowed before the throne. They did not know that Jesus had left it. Satan appeared to be by the throne, trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Then Satan would breathe upon them an unholy influence. In it there was light and much power, but no sweet joy and peace, no character. Satan's object was to keep them deceived and to draw back and deceive God's children. So there's your spiritualism. The remnant, the message, is the remnant message. And so there are those. It's kind of like what Paul in, in the Word tells us, not, any, not everyone in Israel is Israel. But that being the case did not negate the fact that there was an Israel. So the fact that this church, God, this is the remnant church. God has given it the remnant message, but not everyone in it, in it has grasped it. Does that make sense? And it's very important for us to remember that, that we don't follow people, but rather we follow Christ. Our eyes have to always be fixed on him because people will always let us down. Even in my presentations here to you, as I have confessed to you, I am a student. And so don't stop where, with what I've shared with you. Go beyond it and continue to study. And, and, and also study to make sure that what I presented to you is correct. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's take a look at early writings. Uh, Page 63, such subjects as the sanctuary, connection with the 2300 days, and, uh, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus, are perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement and show what our present position is. Establish the what? The faith of who? The doubting and give certainty to the glorious future. These I have frequently seen are the principal subjects on which the messengers should what? should dwell. Dear friend, do you want this, your faith to be strengthened? The study of the sanctuary is calculated to do that. Studying the sanctuary will strengthen your faith. It's interesting, if you study, you do realize, of course, that without the sanctuary, there is no Seventh-day Adventist church. 
You do realize this church, this movement, is born out of an understanding of the sanctuary. Today I run into Seventh-day Adventists who don't believe in the sanctuary message, and that makes as much sense to me as a Catholic telling me he doesn't believe in the Pope. <laughs> it's an oxymoron because Adventists are people of the sanctuary. We were born out of it. You know, if, if, if you have never studied Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist history, there's a book by Loughborough. In fact, I brought it with me. I want to read it. There are several books out there. I want to encourage you to read that book. Read about our history, and it will strengthen you. I, I might go off on a bunny trail here, but I can't resist. I want to share something. You know, to me, what's so awesome is that this movement was raised up by God, by people of your age. Are you with me? The last great movement was raised up by God through young people of your age. The reason why that generation did not go into the promised land is because the second generation lacked faith. And that's why they were denied. But we were told that in the end, there is going to be a raising up of young people. And the generation that couldn't finish it, is going, that work is going to be finished, along with the adults, but with the counterpart to that first generation. Did, did you understand what I just said? There's going to be a group of young people, and I believe we're seeing that happen. And I think it's going to be cool one day in the, in the Earth Made New when that first generation that started the movement meets the second that finished it. And to me, that's awesome. Don't you think so? You know, I remember a story um, of a farmer. How many, you have a favorite animal that you like? Do you have a favorite animal? I like otters, and I like dolphin, which tells you something about me. Uh, hey, another one. I'm with you, buddy. I heard a voice from beyond. But, but yes, I love otters and dolphins. And, uh, well, this man loved eagles. He loved eagles. They were majestic creatures, powerful. And uh, he lived on a farm. And so he would see them migrate, and uh, they would sometimes would nest in the surrounding regions and cliffs, and, and he would go visit them on his downtime. And he loved them. It was a favorite, you know, weekend activity was to just take, go bird watching. Well, on this particular season, uh, an eagle couple, a pair, made a nest on one of the trees on his property. He was so excited because he was going to have, excuse me, a bird's eye view of this and get to see these birds develop. And that was going to be a lot of fun for him. Well, tragically, a storm came in one night, and lightning struck that tree and destroyed the nest. And the next day, heartbroken, he went and saw the debris there on the ground. And to amazement, one of the eaglets had survived. And so he was determined to save the bird. And so he began feeding it and uh, trying to, and it was starting to respond. And then he kind of figured, you know, it needed friends. So he stuck the eaglet in the chicken coop because he needed friends. And the chickens weren't quite sure what to do with him. And, um, but after a while, they kind of got used to him. And he grew up there with the chickens. And um, as the months passed, he noticed a strange and disturbing development. The eagle did not try to fly, even though he could. He would scratch around the ground. He was acting like a chicken. Um, the eagle had never seen an eagle, and so didn't know any better. And, and so the farmer one day decided to give the eagle flying lessons. And so he would pick him up. He took him out after a day out in the field and throw him up in the air, and the bird was just hitting the ground. So he'd pick it up. He wouldn't try to fly. He just hit the ground. And his wife got upset with him and said, you're going to kill that bird. And the farmer said, this bird was meant to soar. It wasn't meant to live like a chicken. He said, and it's going to learn to fly or it's going to die. But I'm not going to let it live like this. 
So he got the bird, went to his truck, and he went to a nearby cliff uh, because he was going to teach it to fly. He parked the truck, and as he was walking to the cliff, he noticed that the eagle was looking up intently. He would look up and didn't see anything, kept walking, and he saw the eagle seemed to be focused on something. So he looked and looked, and off in the distance, he saw an eagle soaring. That eagle had never seen another eagle. And he was just looking at it intently. Well, anyway, he got to the cliff, and he said to the eagle, your destiny is grand. It is not to live like a chicken, but to live like an eagle. That's what you were created for. So he grabbed the bird, and he threw it off the cliff. And the bird began to plummet. And just before it hit the ground, he threw out his wings, and he flew. Today, we Seventh-day Adventists are living like chickens. We do not understand the great destiny that God has given to us as a people. And part of our problem is we've been looking at chickens and not studying the lives of the eagles that soared before us. Dear friends, you study Adventist history and study the lives of those young people who, like yourself, soared like eagles, and you will come to understand what God has called you to, and you will soar as well. This work is about to close. And, and in the sanctuary, this matter is fleshed out in its grandeur. And they understood this. And this became their message. And it will become yours as well. But let's continue. Great controversy. 488 is going to reveal to us something very important. The sanctuary in heaven is what? The what? The very center of Christ's work in behalf of man. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. It opens to view the plan of redemption, bringing us down to the very close of time and revealing the triumphant issue of the contest between righteousness and sin. It is of the utmost importance that all, how many? All should thoroughly investigate these subjects and be able to give an answer uh, to everyone that asketh them a reason for the hope that is in them. You know, every, in every army, every war, you have uh, a war room. And in a war room is where uh, the battle the, the, the are, are, is, uh, is being directed. And you know that uh, during World War II, the United States, or, or, or the, the Axis forces would love to have known where the United States had its war room. Why? To try to attack and destroy it. Because if you can destroy the war room, then you destroy your enemy's ability to conduct war against you. What is the war room for heaven? It's the sanctuary. Now, can the devil destroy the sanctuary? No, he cannot. But if he can find a way of destroying it from the conscious minds of God's people, you get the same exact results. And you leave the troops in confusion. And so the devil wants to destroy the very epicenter where God is trying to save humanity. You know, it's interesting to me that when people talk about righteousness by faith, many will quote the book of Romans, rightfully so, because it explains it so clearly there. You know, I came to understand righteous by faith by studying the sanctuary. It's all there. That's where I came to understand. It is the very area. Let me, let me share something with you. You remember that in the sanctuary... Um, there was one entrance to the sanctuary. Amen? One entrance? Okay. <laughs> and 
that entrance was coming into the West. And we are good Seventh-day Adventists, and we know that part of that reason is because the competing worship of the day, Baal worship, was sun worship. And which direction do the sun worshipers face? They faced east. And, but God's people were to turn their back to the east, and they were to look west. Amen? That makes sense? But I want to share with you another reason. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Chapter 3. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, we have the story of the fall of man. And uh, we're going to pick up after the fall to a discussion um, in the Godhead. And I want you to pick out something here very important. We're going to pick up in verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Are you there? Genesis 3, verse 22. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat of it, of it live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he has taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim where? at the east gate, the Garden of Eden at the east, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, so when Adam and Eve sinned, which direction when they left the garden did they walk? They went east. They had to go to the east gate. They walked east. Now, if they wanted to come back to God, which direction would they have to walk? So east signifies the walking away, the west is coming back, and everything in between here is the process back to God. God shows us the process, and in that last step, which we call um, the most holy place, there is a service that is called what? The atonement, the at-one-ment, the coming together again. The separation that sin caused, God to the sanctuary teaches us how he's going to bring us back together again. How the cre his creation will be unified with the creator. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So the sanctuary is important to us because God shows us how he intends to bring us back together again. Make sense so far? By the way, the angels were to keep the way. You know, there's two ways to look at that. One was to keep them from eating it in a sinful state, but to guard the way also meant to make sure there was a way back. Are angels part of the process in helping humanity? Are they ministering spirits? You betcha. So we see it all there. The sanctuary is very important to us in understanding the work of Christ. Let's take a look at evangelism, page 22 and 23. As a people, we should be earnest students of prophecy. We should not rest until we become intelligent in regard to the subject of the sanctuary, which is brought out in the visions of Daniel and John. This subject sheds great light on our present position and work and gives us unmistakable proof that God has led us in our experience. God's people are now to have their eyes what? Fixed on the heavenly sanctuary, where the final ministration of our, heaven, of our great high priest in the work of the judgment is going forward, where he is interceding for his people. So the Lord wants us to be focused there so we can become intelligent. By the way, there's no way for us to cooperate with him unless we understand what he's doing. You know, I was very 
this is a terrible illustration, but I was very mischievous as a young person. And I had a best friend who was also equally mischievous. And he can be across the room, and if an idea of, 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 of getting into mischief came up, I, he and I did not have to communicate. I can look at him, and he can look at me, and we were on the same page like that. I mean, we, can, we could orchestrate and coordinate our efforts from a distance. That's a terrible illustration. But as we come to know the mind of Christ, even though we may not be in close proximity, but by faith we can be, we will find ourselves cooperating with him. Are you with me? And in the sanctuary, we come to understand it. Let's take a look here also. Great Controversy 48. The subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. How many need a knowledge for who? Themselves of the position and the work of their great high priest. Otherwise, watch this. Don't miss this. Don't turn too soon. You don't want to miss this. Otherwise, it will be what? You know, before I go any further, I want to share something about Ellen White and the way she writes. Please follow me. Ellen White never exaggerated. Ellen White classified exaggeration with lying, a violation of God's law. Ellen White struggled in her writings for precision. Did you know that? When Ellen White wrote, she, always, she struggled to be as precise as she could. She was always fearful that in some way, in her choosing of words, that somehow she would diminish the importance of the work of God. Have any of you noticed the size of Ellen White's vocabulary? Her vocabulary was huge. This is a woman who had a third grade education. Her vocabulary was huge because she was constantly trying to master the language in an effort to give us a more accurate picture of what God was trying to communicate to us. So whenever you see her using drastic words, dear friend, it's not for effect. She is being very accurate. So in here where she says that, um, that otherwise it would be impossible for them to exercise faith, that is precisely what she means to say. It will be impossible. Watch this. Otherwise, in fact, let me back up because the sentence makes more sense pulled together. All need a knowledge for themselves of the position and the work of their great high priest. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise what? Faith, which is essential for this time, or to occupy the position which God desires to fill for them. So, in other words... There's no way for you and I to do the work that God is calling us to until we understand the work that Jesus is doing. He, the salvation for each of us is based on righteousness by? And unless we understand what he's doing, we're not going to be able to exercise that. Does that make sense? whole thing is centered. Righteousness by faith is centered on understanding the work of Christ in the most holy place on our behalf. Okay, volume uh, 5, Testimonies 575. The great plan of redemption, as revealed in the closing work of these last days, should receive close examination. These scenes connected with the sanctuary above should make an impression upon the minds and hearts of all that they may be able to impress others. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement, which is going on in the sanctuary above. When this grand truth is seen and understood, those who hold it, watch this, once we understand it, those who hold it, will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the great day of God. And their efforts will be what? Successful. And it's based on what? Our understanding of the sanctuary, what Christ is doing. You know, uh, early on, after I, I came to know Christ, um, 
I was actually living not far from here. Uh, when I began to read The Great Controversy, I was in my, my mid-twenties. And my wife and I were not, we were nominal, well, she was a nominal Adventist. I was a heathen, really, coming back to the Lord. And I read The Great Controversy, which my mother had given to me. And what a fantastic book. Uh, we're so blessed as a people. And um, so anyway, I began, I started, tried going to churches, and it wasn't working for me. And, and I prayed to the Lord to send me to a church, and he ended up sending us to North Carolina to a church that really loved us in. And this is where my sanctuary interest really took off. And so I began studying, and I remember I came up with an idea. I thought, you know, I wonder if anybody out there has ever, you know how uh, I used to build models as a kid, and I thought, I wonder if they have a model of the sanctuary. And I thought, how cool would that be? Because I'm very visual. By the way, we all are to some extent. That's why God gave us the sanctuary. And I thought it'd be so cool. So I went down to a local uh, hobby store and I asked them if they had a sanctuary model. And the guy looked at me like I had three heads. By the way, they do have them today. They didn't have them then. And I was kind of bummed out about that because I saw they had models of Big Ben. They had models of the Taj Mahal. Come on, why not the Wilderness Sanctuary? <laughs> Made sense to me. And, uh, but they didn't. But a woman overheard the discussion. She was a member of the largest Baptist church in the community, and she came to me and she said, do you understand the sanctuary? And I said, you know, I really don't, but I'm, really, I'm, I'm trying to learn. She says, when you learn, will you come to our church and teach us? Wow. And I, I want to say I was new, and, and I left before I really began to understand, but that lady's request haunts me. It haunts me. You know, we're living in a time... You know, if you talk to people right now about um, the average church member, about the state of the dead, and many of them are going to tune you out. You talk to them about the Sabbath, they're going to tune you out. But they're open to the sanctuary. They're open to the sanctuary. And within the sanctuary, all of our doctrines are found. Did you know that? Every one of them is taught out of the sanctuary. But the thing is, one of the mistakes that we have made as a people is we have taught the doctrines and divorced it of Christ. When we teach our doctrines as they relate to a relationship with Jesus, our Sunday-keeping friends are going to embrace it. Are you with me? And when we show them, and, and, and in my second series, in the second part, uh, I'm going to share with you more. I'll show you how each of these furnishings teach us about Jesus Christ. They will embrace it. Um, and you're, you're familiar with Messiah's Mansion. I'm going to assume that you all are. <gasps> really, you're not? Anybody here not familiar with Messiah's Mansion? Messiah's Mansion is a life-size replica of the, the Jewish sanctuary, of the Mosaic Sanctuary. And it's out of Oklahoma Academy. Young people are, are giving tours, and they're teaching our, 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 our message, the Three Angels' message, right through it. And the community is coming out. Yes. When was the last time they came? It was a while back. Two weeks ago. I mean, they were, they were there for two weeks. You know how many people went through? 15,000. That, you were there. That generated about 2,500 Bible studies. And when we were in, of course, that's a very large area. When, when I was pastoring in Hendersonville, we brought in the Messiah's Mansion. And the Bible Belt is a tough place to get the three angels' message out. It sounds crazy. You would think in the Bible Belt it wouldn't be. But, uh, but we have our challenges. You know, we had 3,500 people go through in a week. And what amazed me is that pastors were be bringing their congregations and, and they, were, they were so excited. And as they were coming through, over and over, I kept hearing the same thing. We're studying this in our church. We're studying this 
And listen, my young friends, Jesus is getting ready to return. You know, we were told that the rocks would cry out if we didn't get the message out. And so there is an interest. Well, what I decided to do is, uh, is after, what we decided to do as a church is we were going to do an evangelistic series through the sanctuary. And we were going to make it a full gospel presentation. And, of course, my background was what? Catholic. I just assumed that the Seventh-day Adventist church had a presentation full gospel through the sanctuary. I was wrong. There is no such animal. I searched and searched. I called East Coast, West Coast, North, South, website searches. Anybody that I know that knows the sanctuary, talk to them, ask them. There wasn't one there. Then the Lord helped us to put one together, an evangelistic series. And right now we're working on having it printed. But this is what I want to tell you. When we did this, the series, you know how many times, uh, many of you have been involved in, in Revelation seminars? I love Revelation seminars. But you have noticed that sometimes it brings out kind of kooky people that are conspirators. You know what I'm saying? If you know what I'm saying, please say amen. <laughs> I did not see that with the sanctuary. What it brought out were the students. You know, many times it doesn't bring the active members from other denominations, but the marginalized. This brought out the active members and students. Totally different population. Something is happening. Jesus is getting ready to return, and he's preparing a people, and what he's doing is he's making them intelligent to the sanctuary. But, but now, if the sanctuary is so important to us, well, then we know that the devil's attitude is going to be one of ruthless opposition. Amen? And, and when the devil attacks the sanctuary message, his most effective attacks are not from without, but from within. Let's take a look. Evangelism 224. By the way, let me just read that last, last sentence of the first paragraph. I, feel, I just feel compelled. And this is the last sentence of the paragraph 5T. When this grand truth is seen and understood, those who hold it will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the great day of God and their efforts will be successful. Is that worth repeating? Is that worth repeating? You know, what's really funny to me is some of the people, I, have, ever, have you ever heard of new words for witnessing? Write that down. New words for witnessing. Wherever you are, write that down. You can do this in your Wednesday night prayer meetings, in your Sabbath school, quotations. New words for witnessing. You can purchase that from American Cassette Ministries. It's how to witness through the sanctuary. And it's really interesting, but the man who brought it together was Daniel O'Phil. How many of you know Richard O'Phil, Dick, Pastor Dick O'Phil? Okay, this is his father who put this together. And, and what it is, basically, is you, you present the gospel through the sanctuary. And as he has done this, and he begins to explain the, the judgment, he has had people look at him and say, now I understand why you keep the Sabbath. And he never mentioned the Sabbath. He never mentions it. They say it. Why? Because when you begin to teach the judgment and the standard of the judgment, it begins to click. Does that make sense? Now people begin. You know that the Seventh-day Baptists have been preaching the Sabbath message longer than we have. Did you know that? But they're only about 5,000 strong today as they were when we got the message from them back in the, during the Advent movement. But we have grown to millions. Why? Because we have something attached to the Sabbath message that gives us understanding to the, its importance that the Baptists don't have. And that is the judgment. 
And when you understand the judgment, the role of the law in the judgment, now the Sabbath, you have the context for the importance of it. And then you begin to understand the mark of the beast. Are you with me? It makes sense. So it adds impetus, importance. Okay, now the message is under attack. Evangelism 2.24. As the great pillars of our faith have been presented, the Holy Spirit has borne witness to them, and especially is this so regarding the truths of the sanctuary question. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit has, in a marked manner, endorsed the preaching of this doctrine. But today, as in the past, some will be led to form new what? Theories and to deny the truth upon which the Spirit of God has placed His approval. So the Prince of Darkness is doing what he can to eradicate the sanctuary message from our minds. And one of the ways is by bringing in interesting theories. Let's take a look at one of them here, Special Testimonies, Series B, number 7, page 17. Satan is striving how? Continually to bring in fanciful opposition in regard to the sanctuary, degrading the wonderful representations of God and the ministry of Christ for our salvation into something that suits the carnal mind. So, if he can't destroy it, if he can't get you to not believe it, then he works to downgrade its importance. And I'll give you two ways in which he does this. Uh, and one way is that he says something to this effect. You know, there really isn't an actual, you know, sanctuary in heaven. It's just metaphoric, you know, but there's no buildings out there and all that other stuff. It's just to help us, you know, to get us to grasp. Dear friend, that's one way. Because once that begins to undermine, once you undermine that, then what about the work of Christ in the most holy place? If you, if you go for that, the other's going too. Another way, and please, I say this respectfully, humbly, but, uh, but, but you know, I, I, I will never be accused of being politically correct, <laughs> those who know me. So I'm just going to say it flat out. But we have brothers and sisters who have mistakenly grasped onto the idea of the feast days. And Paul battled this in the book of Galatians. Uh, and, and what it does is it really undermines Christ as the Messiah. And what happens is we end up focusing on the earthly and not on the heavenly. It bypasses. So the devil keeps throwing stuff at us in an attempt to keep our minds off of what Christ is doing. By the way, if the devil's attacks are intensifying, that is an indicator to me that God's people are beginning to get it. This is becoming a threat to him. So he is intensifying his efforts. So what I just say makes sense. Are you with me so far? Let's continue. Evangelism 2.24. In the future, deceptions of how many kinds? Every kind is to arise. And we want solid ground for our, free, our feet. We want solid pillars for the building. Not one pin is to be removed from that which the Lord has established. The enemy will bring in false theories such as the doctrine that there is no sanctuary. This is one of the points on which there will be a departing from the faith. How sad. There will be, wait, there shall, wait, where shall we find safety unless it be in the truths that the Lord has given uh, for the last 50 years? And there have been a number of, do you have a handout copy? Oh, there's one right there. I am so sorry. We've had a number of attacks on the sanctuary message. And Ellen White uh, one of the attacks came from, uh, oh, I forgot his initials. His last name was an evangelist named Ballinger. Ballinger was his last name. And he had a, he had a shotgun effect, or he, a shotgun attack against the sanctuary in her day. 
in our day, the attack came from Desmond Ford uh, and from uh, the book um, Questions on Doctrine. That one really, really hurt us. But uh, so the devil has made a number of attacks against us in regards to it. There was one thing I wanted to bring out to you. Oh, oh wait, I lost it again. I have ADD. Who doesn't? But anyway, but I have ADD bad. <laughs> my, my wife will tell you that. I have the attention span of a gnat with ADD. But so I'm all over the place. But I'm trying to remember now what it was. In the future, every kind will arrive. Okay, now remember. You know, one thing that the sanctuary's really helped me with is the sanctuary is really helps to weed out a lot of false doctrine. When you begin to understand the sanctuary and you encounter false doctrine, you try to run into the sanctuary and it won't go through. I'll give you an example of one, and that is universal justification. That when Christ died, everybody on the planet was justified. Universalism. Have you heard this? This is within our ranks also. But you don't see that in the sanctuary. The only people that benefited from the sacrifice were those who brought it. Nobody in Syria was justified by the sacrifices being made in, in Israel. Are you with me? Unless they became a follower of Christ and they brought a sacrifice. Does that make sense? So when you begin to study the operation of the sanctuary, it starts to weed out false doctrine. Sanctuary is the great lie detector. Okay, let's continue. Uh, Ellen White, uh, letter 2, 33, and 1904. Um, we all need to keep the subject of the sanctuary in mind. God forbid that the clatter of words coming from human lips should lessen the belief of our people in the truth that there is a sanctuary in heaven and that a pattern of this sanctuary was once built on earth. God desires his people to become familiar with this pattern, keeping, look at this wording, ever before their minds, that heavenly sanctuary where God is all in all. Let's continue on the next one. Evangelism 2.21. The correct understanding of the ministration in the heavenly sanctuary is the foundation of our faith. Brothers and sisters, if we don't have an understanding of, of the sanctuary, we have no foundation. Are you with me? So important is this to us. Um, so we can understand why the devil's attacking it. Now, how is it that our pioneers arrived at truth? How is it? Watch carefully, because this is the pattern we must follow. And this is Gospel Workers 302 and 303. We are to be established in the faith, in the light of the truth given us in our early experience. Remember, we were told we have nothing to fear for the future except what? We, we forget how God has led us in the past in our past teaching. At that time, one error after another pressed in upon us. Ministers and doctors brought in what kind of views? New doctrines. Now watch their response. We would search the scriptures with what? Much prayer. And the Holy Spirit would bring the truths where? To our minds. Sometimes whole nights would be devoted to searching the scriptures and earnestly asking God for guidance. Companies of devoted men and women assembled for this purpose. The power of God would come to me and I was enabled to clearly to define what is truth and what is error. By the way, let me stop right there. Did you notice that they were coming to understanding of the truth based on Bible study, and then the spirit of prophecy would confirm what they found? Did you catch that? 
lot of people say, oh, all this stuff came from Ellen White. No, it did not. The Lord used the spirit of prophecy to confirm what the people were studying and finding in the Bible as they were being guided by the Holy Spirit. You know what our problem is today? We don't do this. We don't study. Everybody wants a quick answer. But we're not studying for ourselves. But the Lord is looking for young people and adults who are willing to study for themselves. And God will do for them as he did for the pioneers, the eagles who soared before. Amen? As the points of our faith were thus established, our feet were placed upon a solid foundation. We accepted the truth point by point under the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I would be taken off in vision and explanation would be given me. I was given illustrations of heavenly things and of the sanctuary so that we were placed where light was shining on us in clear, distinct rays. I know that the sanctuary question stands in righteousness and truth, just as we have held it for so many years. It is the enemy that leads minds off on sidetracks. He is pleased when those who know the truth become engrossed in collecting scriptures to pile up erroneous theories which have no foundation in truth. You know, I want to encourage, let's, let's all make a pact to not, to not um, pursue speculation. What I have, you know, you know what speculation is? I had somebody ask me the other day, one of my students, but we have belly buttons and the earth made new. Life must be pretty easy if that's what you're concerned about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're wondering if we're going to have belly buttons and the earth made new, things must be going pretty well. But, um, but you know, the, the bottom line is this. Look, if, the, if the Lord has not given us light on it, let's leave it alone. That's what got Lucifer into trouble. God and Jesus, the Father and Jesus were meeting on plans. Lucifer didn't know what was going on. And he wanted to get into something that really wasn't for him. And so if the Lord has not revealed it, Let's leave it alone. But rather, let us concentrate on what God has revealed. And so a lot of people are, minor, are majoring in minors. And what I've learned is that when we really focus in on speculation, after a while we'll push speculation to the place that it will override what is revealed. Let me use the illustration of the belly button. Okay, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> well, here's the point. I'm going to get into my Bible and study belly buttons. And I'm going to get into the writings of Ellen White when I E.G. write CD-ROM. I'm going to type in belly button. And if I find that the Lord really isn't talking about belly buttons, let me leave the, i got to leave the thing alone. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. But God wants us to learn and study. Does that make sense? By the way, thank you for your question. I love it. I'm one of those. I am a melancholy. So I tend to struggle from analysis paralysis. Are you, you ever do that? You're just so concerned of making the wrong decision that you don't make one? You don't never need to be afraid. As long as you're searching for truth and you're praying and you're searching, if you make a mistake, God has promised that whether you turn to the left hand or to the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking in it. Seek and you will find. Praise the Lord. So keep searching. Keep searching. Okay. Uh, am I at Christ's object lessons? No. Uh, volume 5, Testimony 520. We are in the great day of atonement and the sacred work of Christ for the people of God that is going on at the present time in the heavenly sanctuary should be our what? Our constant study. 
And in the next presentation, I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. Christ's Object Lessons 133. The significance of the Jewish sanctuary is not yet fully comprehended. So this goes back to what you were saying, sister, is that there is more truth that God wants to reveal to us, but we've got to get into the Word to find it. Yeah. I'm sorry. The economy. I'm sorry. I, I, I put that in there. But the entire Jewish economy was based around the sanctuary. They're an agricultural society. Forgive me. I subliminally put that in. Thank you for correcting me. Let me repeat that. The significance of the Jewish economy is not yet fully comprehended. Truths vast and profound are shadowed forth in its rites and symbols. Do you see it now where she's going with it? Do you see it? In its rites and symbols. The gospel is the key that unlocks its mysteries. Through a knowledge of the plan of redemption, its truth are open to the understanding. So there's more the Lord wants to reveal to us. Life Sketches 278. Our faith in reference to the messages of the first and second and third angel's message was correct. The great way marked we have passed are immovable. Although the hosts of hell may try to tear them from their foundation and triumph in the thought that they have succeeded, yet they do not succeed. These pillars of truth stand firm as the eternal hills, unmarred by all the efforts of man combined with those of Satan and his host. We can learn much and should be constantly searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary, where the final ministration of our great high priest and the work of the judgment is going forward, we is interceding for his people. So even though we have these attacks, will they succeed? No, they will not. Volume 5, Testimony 420-421. This is the great day of preparation. And the solemn work going on in the sanctuary above should be kept constantly before the minds of those employed in our institutions. Business care should not be allowed to absorb the mind in such a degree that the work in heaven, which concerns every individual, will be lightly regarded. The solemn scenes of the judgment, the great day of atonement, should be kept before the people and urged upon their consciousness with earnestness and power. The subject of the sanctuary will give us correct views of the importance of the work for this time. So, you know, the devil tries very hard to keep us engrossed in other things. Okay, I'm going to mention a few of them right now that I am seeing is very, very engrossing to us. Electronics, technology, is doing a wonderful job in keeping our minds occupied. It was supposed to save time. It is becoming a time waster. I can mention a few things. I think the one that comes to my mind most clearly would probably be Facebook. The amount of time spent there. Let me ask a question. If we spent the amount of time in the Bible that we spend on Facebook, what kind of Christians would we be? So in the last days, we were told that the devil's efforts to deceive would intensify. Are we living in the last days? So we're living in the time when the intensification of his deceptions are peaking out. And yet I see people saying, what are they? Hello? <laughs> if it's pulling you away from the word, bingo. You know, it's interesting too, and I'm going to share this one um, because I feel I need to say it. I have young people here. And if you want more information on what I'm about to say, you can ask me or get on, the, uh, on Watch Out the Hills website. I did a talk on this. Do you know what, what's the most effective way, that the most effective plan, strategy the devil has to derail young, sincere, Adventist young people is relationships. You know, in this time in your lives as young people, God wants you to be focused on, on his plan for you. Right now, you're learning all you can learn. 
so you can be thoroughly equipped for the great calling that God has upon your life. You have a responsibility that God has placed upon you that's unlike anyone on this planet because you know that this world is about to perish and you and I have the message that will save them. So God is, is preparing you special. And so as you focus upon Him during your school hours, in your school work, talking to Him, and then going to college and getting the training that you need there, God is equipping you and preparing you. Now, the Prince of Darkness does not want you prepared and equipped because he knows you're going to wreak havoc on his kingdom. So he's going to distract you, and he knows that relationships are the most effective way to do it. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does God know how to make us happy? Does God know what's best for us? If God wants us married, will God, does God have that person already prepared for us? Do we trust him enough to wait on his timing instead of our own? And that's the key. Does that make sense? And, and so I just had to throw that out, but that is one of the most effective ways to keep us because what happens, and those of you who have been caught up in this, look, I didn't do it right, and I have the scars to prove it. I didn't learn about the right way until later in life. But, but once we have a romantic thought towards someone, you can hardly eat. Now, come on. Am I lying? You can hardly eat. The furthest thing from your mind is the investigative judgment. Are you with me? And, and uh, so not that there's anything wrong with relationships, but for everything there is a season. Amen? And the Lord has the best. I can go off on another sermon on that, but I won't do that. I'll spare you. But if you want details, you can find that on our OHA website. Okay, where did I leave off? Which one? I'm at uh, STC. Okay, Steps to Christ, 122, 123. Thank God for the bright pictures which he has presented to us. Let us group together the blessed assurance of his love that we may look upon them continually. The Son of God leaving his Father's throne, clothing his divinity with humanity. Oh, how beautiful. That he might rescue man from the power of Satan. His triumph in our behalf, opening hev heaven to man, revealing to human vision the present chamber where divinity unveils his glory. The fallen race uplifted from the pit of ruin into which sin had plunged it and brought again into the connection with the infinite God and having endeavored, endured rather, the divine test through faith in our Redeemer, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, exalted to his throne. These are the pictures which God would have us contemplate. And those images are all found in the sanctuary. Volume 6, Testimony 368. The temple of God is open in heaven, and the threshold is flushed with the glory which is for every church that will love God and keep his commandments. We need to study, to meditate, and to pray. Then we will have spiritual eyesight to discern the inner courts of the celestial temple. Is that amazing? We're counting, we're numbering Israel. Okay, let me repeat that. We need to study and to meditate and to pray. Then we will have spiritual eyesight to discern the inner courts of the celestial temple. As we apply the golden eye salve, we shall see the, glorious, the glories beyond. Faith will cut through the heavy shadow of Satan, and we shall see our advocate offering up the incense of our own merits in our behalf. When we see this as it is, as the Lord desires us to see it, we shall be filled with the sense of the immensity and diversity of the love of God. The whole controversy is in regards to the character of God, and in the sanctuary we'll see it. We will see it. Okay, so we'll end here. 
with the words of the psalmist David. And by the way, as the years pass, I am becoming more and more impressed with David's understanding of the sanctuary and its operation. And it led him to these words. Your faith, O God, is where? Excuse me. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. When I used to read that text, I used to think, boy, when you see the disasters, when you see all these things taking place, look up because the clouds are about to open and Jesus is about to return. That's not what that's saying. When we see these events taking place, look up by faith and know that Jesus is about to finish his work in the most holy. Are you with me? And we can look at faith, by faith there. We're going to go ahead and close out this section. And uh, these are just uh, a sampling of, uh, of some of the quotes in the spirit of prophecy of how important this is to us. And we, we fleshed out some of the meaning, why it's so important to us. Now what we're going to do, and I'll give you five minutes here, we're going to get into our presentation on prayer and how sanctuary is a model for prayer. That sound good? Let's close out with a word of prayer. Father, we just want to thank you again for impressing our hearts and our minds, Lord, revealing to us the importance this is to us as a people. Father, we don't want to live like chickens. We want to be able to fulfill the majestic call of, of preparing a people to go home. And it's understanding the sanctuary, its operation, and your work in it that prepares us to prepare others. And so, Lord, we pray for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for setting, for giving us a foundation, and we're going to build on that now. I pray you prepare our hearts and minds. We thank you and ask this all in Christ's name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.